2: Shachtum, an Indo Askeliger. Time a mon the end of Chacht er a corp, Agasuligum a Makansha, Gurfeger e a hoir, a nuik cart, len of winter thing. Schilti, vis, turme.
1: Toshi, dochretchet, nach vetach, ara, igornemjon, unchest si in the echo. Vientalem a or corn Yes, yeah, I'm going to talk to you about the podcast in the list and in the next couple of weeks. I'm not
2: going Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast contains details some listeners may find disturbing. I can find really nothing that I'd have done differently. Uh, I'm quite content to to let history judge me after I'm dead. Today on the Indo-Daily, Lord Mountbatten, will the truth now come out? Louis Mountbatten was a beloved member of the royal family and a mentor to King Charles.
0: There's no doubt whatsoever that he was a, a prime formative influence on King Charles III for good or ill. In August 1979,
2: my much-loved great-uncle Lord Mountbatten was killed. At the time, I could not imagine how we would come to terms with the anguish of such a deep loss. But now, allegations of child sex abuse at a notorious Belfast children's home hang over the man who symbolised the end of the British Empire.
1: Arthur Smith was 11 years of the age when he was sent to Concord. He is alleging
2: that he was raped by Lord Mountbatten. I'm Fionn Cheen, and today on the Indo-Daily, I speak with Senna Maloney, political correspondent with the Irish Independent, and Sharon O'Neill, news editor with the Belfast Telegraph, to uncover the story of Lord Mountbatten. So, Sharon, can you tell me the allegations being made against Lord Mountbatten?
1: Yes, well, Arthur Smith, uh, just to put it in context, was a 11 years of the age, close to 12, when he was sent to Concorra. Now, he would have been one of the younger boys. He was there for six weeks. He is saying that he was abused by William McGrath. He's one of the three uh, workers at Concorra who were convicted back in the 80s of abusing many young boys in that home. Now, he is further alleging that he was raped by Lord Mountbatten. Now, at that time, he says when he was a young boy, he he didn't know who the person was until uh, Lord Mountbatten's death in 79 whenever there was widespread media coverage and he saw his face on the television screens. And he is insistent that the person that he met in Concora was uh, Lord Mountbatten.
2: Um, were, was it known that Mountbatten had any previous connection with this home?
1: No, and I suppose that's the the million dollar question, and something that uh, many are hoping will be answered, maybe uh, perhaps in the disclosure documents as part of this civil action. It must be pointed out that the historical abuse inquiry here into institutional abuse found that there was no evidence of any kind of paedophile ring at the home. Arthur Smith is very uh, is adamant. That uh, the person that he met there was Lord Mountbatten.
2: And Kincora, tell us about the the, the previous uh, allegations that have been been made of, of child sex abuse uh, in that home.
1: Well, Kincora was really. A scandal that went under the radar for many years here. And, you know, down the years, that's why probably there's been a lot of claim and counterclaim over it. McGrath, Means, and Semple were workers at Kinkora. Basically, they had the run of the house. It was basically, and I'll use the crude term, a free for all. I mean, these, little, these boys, there were about 30 of them that were abused down the years. And it was such a secret that uh, nobody spoke out and it was widespread systemic abuse which has been proven in the subsequent inquiries and investigations. And what has also been proven is uh, the fact that the authorities did nothing about it at the time. The Ombudsman received seven complaints from former residents and has been investigating since 2017. Mary Anderson has found former police officers failed in their duty to victims of Concora by not acting on information they received between 1973 and 76. I mean, most recently there, a an investigation by the police ombudsman found that when the RUC at the time investigated, they basically uh, went to Joseph Maynes, who was the... Uh, chief warden, if you like, uh, when the allegations against William McGrath emerged. Um, looking for a reference, got a reference saying that he was an upstanding individual, you know, respected in the community, was a member of the Orange Order, basically nothing to see here and there was no investigation. So it's, you know, been established that, um The children at that home were badly, badly feel. And I've spoken to many down the years and they have been badly impacted by by what happened to them as boys. So Lord
2: Mountbatten, effectively as close a member to the royal family as you could get. But what what was the actual
0: family tree relationship here? Oh, listen, it's a a huge soup, all these monarchical interconnections, not just uh, in the UK, but across the the whole of Europe. Louis Mountbatten was effectively great-grandson of Queen Victoria. He was also ended up the uncle to um, Prince Philip who married the late Queen because um, Philip was the son of his sister. So he's tied in in, in that way. It's the easiest way to put it. And, and he's a, a second cousin once
2: removed then to, to Queen Elizabeth as well. So it's, yeah.
0: It's, yeah, he is very much and, and part then, of the furniture really. Well, exactly, yeah, and you know, I mean, he's he's got this strange name, Mountbatten, which doesn't fit in. That's because the Saxe-Coburgs, who were, you know, this originally a German takeover by the House of Hanover, if you want to go really far back. And then when Britain went to war with Germany in the First World War, they changed their name to Windsor to get away from the German connections. And then Mountbatten, who was originally a a Battenberg, he was a cousin in that way, he had to change to Mountbatten, make it more anglicised.
2: Very interesting career though in terms of the the, the Navy and 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 prominent in, in World War Two and beyond.
0: Yeah, he started off in uh training uh, at the Royal Naval College on at Osborne on the Isle of Wight and uh, you know, the days of Rum, sodomy, and the lash—you know—it's not exactly a uh, a pogue's, not just a pogue song. And he went in there very tender age, and he uh, is trained to go into a naval career, like so many of the British aristocracy and royal family. And then he stays on. He has a little break in the 1920s to go to Cambridge, you know, which even then was a, you know, a, a, a nest of near door wells and spies and people with very alternative thoughts, you know. You know, and later on he meets up with Anthony Blunt again, allegedly. Anthony Blunt uh, went to Cambridge and he became one of, you know, spies for the Russians and so on. In any case, he leaves Cambridge and he goes back to his naval career and he starts making progress. You know, his name helps and his connections help, of course. He eventually gets uh, put in charge of um, combined military operations in Southeast Asia Probably
2: most famously known uh, in Asia for the independence of of India and the division between India and Pakistan. He oversees that.
0: Yeah, so this makes him, you know, a petitionist, you know, and the partition of India uh, was something arguably brought about because he, uh, he wanted to get in there and get out as quickly as possible. He wanted to go back to his naval chums. He wasn't in India very long. He actually rammed through the independence of India. This led to, you know, open conflict, massive bloodbaths and riots and massacres, and eventually we had the Partition of India. But there was there was an awful lot of lives lost, probably uh, running to more than a million.
2: Now, I'm an Englishman. I didn't foresee it at that rate, but nor did any single Indian and none of the leaders foresaw this at all. But I stayed on to face the music and to try and help put the thing straight. Now. That's there's the least I could do. I didn't run away from India until it really had settled down.
0: But a lot of it is put down to, historically, in retrospect, to Mountbatten's impatience to get the job done Just, and get home.
2: His personal life has come under the spotlight uh, previously. He, he married Edwina, a very, very beautiful woman, but they had a, a quite
0: dysfunctional relationship, really, didn't they? Yeah, that had a bit of an open marriage. They, uh, Mountbatten himself admitted uh, that they spent most of their marriage in other people's bedrooms you know so they had their own oh, long-term term lovers and short-term lovers and so on hardly ever seen together he married her very young at 22 and she was the daughter of baron mount temple so he was impossibly wealthy and he had money from the canadian rockies and uh, when he unlocked her money that enabled him to do his social climbing even in political terms because he, was, he got he became very close to Edward VIII, and then to Churchill and so on. But in terms of his, his, his personal life, there were always rumours around that, that uh, um, he was sharing a, a bed with various people, uh, men and women, and then came post-war claims that he also had a perversion for boys. That exact phrase is in an FBI f- dossier that was compiled upon him. So the Americans were onto something I don't know what the FBI knows. It's a lot of that still shrouded in mystery. Subsequent to the war, there were when he was based in Malta overseeing the Mediterranean fleets. There were claims by uh, a former a driver called Ron Perks that he used to regularly ferry him up to a, a place called the Red House or the uh, the Red Club, uh, uh, just outside of Valletta in uh, Malta. And later on again, um, a man called Norman Neals made claims to a New Zealand newspaper that he had, uh, he was another driver, that he had procured uh, boys aged 8 to 12 for Mountbatten. And of course, um, all this was denied at the time and there were various footmen and valets and aide de camp who were coming out and saying, not at all, but there was a lot of smoke around. He,
2: in later life, uh, a great love for Ireland and holidays here regularly. So, how how did that relationship with with Sligo come about?
0: Well, I'm not entirely clear, to be quite frank with you, but I mean, he he acquired Clashebane Castle outside of um, outside of Uh and, and that was a fantastic, sort of Gothic spread with a turret and and everything. And uh, I think he just liked the um, he liked the wild Atlantic coast, and he was a he was a sailor because he'd been in ships all his life, you know. So he liked he liked this uh, retreat. He most of the British um, royal family, of course, went to Scotland, you know. And why didn't you know have a, <laughs> a shooting lodge in, in the Highlands? The hard to know, you know. Yeah. But anyway, he decided to. He came to a while. He had he had he had owned it from the fifties, I believe. And yeah. it was a retreat, and maybe it was maybe it was a retreat because it was outside, you know, prying eyes that might you know might be in the UK. But of course then everything kicked off in the late 1960s uh, and it has been alleged of course and strenuously denied by people who were there at the time uh, has been alleged that uh, young boys were ferried to classy barn on occasion.
2: Now as you say the, the troubles kick off uh, late 60s and, and throughout, throughout the 70s and yet this prominent member of the royal family continues to holiday in Mullock Moor and then we have that that tragedy in 1979. Local people say the yacht was about 100 yards from the shore when there was a massive explosion throwing everyone on board into the sea. Earl Mountbatten's body was recovered from the water together with the body of his grandson Nicholas and a 15-year-old friend Paul Maxwell
0: from Enniskillen in Northern Ireland. Yeah, it has to be said that the, uh, the Irish authorities raised it a number of times, expressed concern as the troubles were getting worse. And there were years when he didn't come uh, but then he resumed coming and the, and the had consulted with their opposite numbers and so on. And he did have a close protection detail. So um there was always a Gardaí, uh car with armed officers wherever he, he went, if he went down to Muluk Moor itself, you know, and around the clock around uh, Classy Bar. Bon. So he was protected, but at the same time, he was taking a huge risk because it's only fifty or sixty miles uh, from the border. And it was there in 1979 that the IRA got an opportunity to assassinate him, which they did with a, a bomb that was placed aboard his yacht, the uh, the Shadow Five. On that day, which was the 27th of August 1979, the same day that uh, 18 paratroopers were killed at Narrow Water uh, in Northern Ireland, he, he went out in the morning um, uh, accompanied by... Uh, two young boys, Paul Maxwell and uh, his grandson uh, Nicholas uh, Natchbull, and on board too was the Dowager Lady Brayborn. They became victims of the explosion. There was one onlooker who said the boat was there one minute and the next it was matchwood floating on the you know floating on the waves. And uh, uh, Manbatten was killed immediately because the the bomb was just underneath where he was conning the. Uh, uh, Fishing boat. Well, I was just sitting down in the rocks down there, and the boat had turned round towards me, and I was just watching it, and I knew it was Lord Barton's boat. And the next thing, everything was spewing up under there. Three or four people shouting for help as boats came up and got them in and took them away. And all the survivors were shouting anyway. Lady Brayborn was fished from the water, but she had such she was in her eighties, and she had such serious injuries that she. Uh, uh, that she died later. So you know, all in all, it was a it, it was a dark day and very embarrassing for the Irish authorities, of course, who were, who were there to protect him. The impact of that day on Anglo-Irish relations massive. Mm-hmm. I mean, a huge embarrassment. The the, the guards had been watching, you know, from a squad car on a bar of the hill as the as the boat went out and suddenly it just reduced to smithereens. Jack Lynch was. Um, was tea shock? Um, it nearly led to, you know, a on Irish business. There were lots of threats coming into, you know, Erlingus and so on from uh, uh, around the world. Um, and of course, it was a huge blow to King Charles III, who was then Prince Charles, because Lord Louis Mountbatten had effectively been his his grandfather. You know, when he was when he was growing up, because as the Crown um, drama series has demonstrated. Charles had a very difficult uh, relationship with his own father, Philip, who was a kind of an austere man and who sent to him to Gordon's Toon and, to play, you know, and way, places where he was most unhappy. And he found, you know, uh, comfort and a degree of understanding from a man who was not his grandfather at all, but um, uh, a close male figure, Louis Mountbatten. My thanks to Senator Maloney and
2: Sharon O'Neill for joining me today. I'm Fianon Chin and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Gareth Mulhall, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from the BBC, RTE, UTV and the Belfast Telegraph. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. And you can find more of our award-winning journalism online at The Irish Independent. If you have been affected by any of the issues discussed in this podcast, you can find a list of helplines at independent.ie slash helplines.